Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MBA is Dead podcast. Today, we have on our show Sarah Simeone, who is the CEO and co founder of Digital Oracles, a startup that helps guide early stage entrepreneurs through their journey, getting them to a stage where they are ready to speak with investors. Digital Oracles has already raised capital in the form of private investments, but also through EU grants. Sarah was also recently rated one of the top 100 women in blockchain by WireX. That was back in October of last year. She has produced research on machine learning and blockchain as it applies to the market tech industry. Not only that, Sarah is a technology industry mentor and strategist, collaborating with the likes of Crypto Valley Labs in Zug and PDC Academy in Milan. Her primary goal in both of those places is to help foster the adoption of blockchain technology. So without further ado, let's bring Sarah onto the show. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me. So as we were just talking about, the the way that I usually start this show is by uh, getting right to it and asking people what they studied in university and uh, what was their first job right afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting question. So as you can hear from my accent, I'm Italian. So I studied in Bologna, uh, business and finance. And then uh, I had the opportunity to actually um, do the Erasmus program. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, um, but it's basically an exchange program. And uh, I had the opportunity to go to Brussels um, and study at the VUB, which is the Free University of Brussels for a year, uh, where I took a few courses from commercial law to ICT and and marketing. And uh, once I came back to Italy, I knew that... uh, I mean, I really didn't want to stay in Italy. I mean, we're talking about, you know, almost 20 years ago now. So the internet was still like, you know, pretty much, um, you know, the beginning. And uh, uh, as you can imagine, you know, universities' websites were still very, uh, like, you know, rudimental. Um, but I actually, as when I came back from uh, from my experience in Brussels, um, I spent the whole summer looking for internships. And, um, you know, even if I was coming from a good university, you know, still I, you know, the university wasn't very, you know, that good at showcasing like, you know, internships. So I had to go, I had to be a bit crafty and I decided to go to the Bocconi University website where I found a few internships. And so I applied. Um, and, uh, and one of these actually um, was uh, for a company based in Paris um, called Harris Interactive. And, um, you know, my dream has always been um, working in the digital uh, business strategies, uh, digital strategy, digital marketing, um, more from, you know, let's say a, a performance and, um, you know, numerical side of things. And so this was a perfect opportunity. I applied. They needed someone who, um, you know, was able to speak English, French and Italian. 
in. Um, and so, you know, um, overnight, basically, I received an answer after, you know, a few, uh, few interviews. And I talked to my parents and I said, guys, I'm leaving and I'm going to Paris for a year. Um, and my father was like, what? <laughs> you know, you've never been to Paris before. Um, it was just like, yeah, I'm leaving, you know, um, uh, living in a couple of days and, um, you know, I'll start this new journey. And it was, you know, a fantastic opportunity, paid internship, never heard of in Italy. Um, and uh, so I left and um, I basically started this uh, this great, um, you know, experience that then, uh, you know, led me to um, to where I am today. But um, what happened basically in, uh, in a few words is that after the uh, you know the internship was meant to last for nine months uh, they offered me the opportunity to stay longer uh, they were very happy um they also offered to uh, you know uh, go for uh, interview for another job within the company but um you know someone from uh, the department moved to wpp which is uh, the world's biggest advertising agency and um she basically asked me if i wanted to move to uh, you know do interview to interview for a position in london um and uh and i said you know why not and she needed someone again who spoke english french and italian um and help her uh with the um you know to develop the business in uh, france uh from the uk base from london and so i interviewed i got the job and i was extremely excited uh you know to to have that as my first work experience um, okay so so hold on if i could just dive in um yeah sure so so if i understand correctly did you completely Complete the internship and then yeah, go to okay. Yes, I did, I did, and uh, you know, and basically, um, you know, it, it's all like you know, I finished like I think it was like end of September, and I started my my job on you know at the beginning of October. I didn't even take a break or anything because you know it was uh, such an amazing opportunity. You know how many twenty you know four years old Italians you know are have got the opportunity to work uh, for WPP and earn a very good salary. Not many. So and so and so what uh, what were just, so just to just to dive into detail, what exactly were you doing at the internship? So I was basically uh, developing the uh, Italian market. It was a fantastic thing, actually. The business model that they had was, uh, you know, they were migrating from an offline um, market research company, you know, the, the, you know, the catty, like, you know, telephone interview, face-to-face -face interview. And they were, they saw an opportunity to actually migrate online and to start Kawi interviews, which are basically web interviews. Now, the interesting um, thing at the beginning, I'm pretty sure, you know, we are talking about 2003. So Google Analytics was at the beginning of uh, their journey to actually, you know, spread their wings and, uh, um, you know, they, they were, you know, just becoming mainstream. But these guys, what they actually uh, did was uh, was very clever. So they created a, a questionnaire um, where they wanted, of course, to profile people. And um, in order to actually... Uh, get let's say panelists for um you know for their database um what they were doing was to place ads on websites um but these ads contain of course i mean tracking and uh, you know in exchange for you know let's say panelists completing our survey we were providing reports back to the website with insights on their uh, the demographics of their audience the behavior of their audience their you, you know their um, preferences and you know with regards to purchasing uh, goods or services and that was like you know a fantastic way for me to actually you know 
learn how to first of all negotiate contracts uh, because I mean we are talking we're not talking about CPM or we are not talking about buying advertising we were bartering deals we were talking you know to the biggest publishers in Italy you know from Repubblica at the time which is like you know the equivalent of the Times the New York Times um, you know to um, it, it, were, it was like you know fantastic way for us to actually you know business develop that. So okay, I know I know we got a lot of ground to cover here because we were we're talking about your entire <laughs> career. Um, at the same time, you know, one of the goals of um, these interviews that I do is to sort of like maybe expose how an industry works uh, to people who maybe aren't familiar with it. Right. So uh, to do that, right. sometimes I ask I ask very very like basic kind of almost childlike questions just to really get like the the visual onto like what you were doing so you you were talking about these interviews that people uh, that they shifted from like phone and telephone to online is that what i understood yes correct and, yeah. and what yes, and what absolutely. and those interviews for were for work or what what kind of interviews were so, those Yes, I can definitely. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with market research companies, but what happens basically is that we had clients like, you know, L'Oreal, uh, Coca-Cola, you know, big, you know, big corporates. And they wanted, of course, I mean, to, for instance, do product testing or they wanted to do like, you know, um, uh, uh, all sorts of uh, pre and post test advertising, you know, to, to understand the brand awareness, you know, measure, um, you know, uh, as I said, brand awareness, measure like, you know, the impact of the advertising that they were doing. Uh, on TV, for instance. So, you know, these are basically um, ways, you know, that, that by interviewing people about specific, you know, So they would, uh, they would ask questions like, yeah, have you, have you seen the latest, uh, the latest yeah. L'Oreal ad and how do you feel about the brand? Is it, is it sophisticated? Is it not sophisticated? That, that kind of exactly. stuff. Like, right. Okay. Exactly. Ex exactly. And sometimes it was more about, you know, showing, for instance, different types of logos and saying, which one is the, you know, the logo that you remind them, you know, that, that comes to your mind, which one is the one that you think is the, you know, um, the ones that, uh, you prefer. So it was actually about, you know, competitor analysis as well. So this is a fantastic branch. Market research, you know, was one of the first uh, industries that was really disrupted in, uh, you know, by digital. Uh, we're talking about 2002. So it was very, very interesting. And, you know, one very... Um, uh, I, I would say that, that an evolution of, um, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with focus groups, right? So that is like, you know, a very common practice uh, that market research is to do, right? You know, just bring you around a, a table, put a lot of products on the table and say, you know, which one do you prefer? Tell me more about, you know, this, what do you feel? You know, can you please taste this yogurt, you know, and just, you know, what do you think about the flavor? Well, all this was actually migrated online. Um, and, uh, you know, we run actually... Uh, one of the first, the world's first uh, online focus groups. And I still remember, you know, like uh, building this community, like, you know, um, understanding, the, you know, of course, uh, getting all this information, raw data, uh, putting, compiling it afterwards into, uh, you know, reports that we, we, you know, we then have to send to the client. You know, that is actually fantastic intelligence. That, and that is where my passion for data really started, I would say. Okay, interesting. And so it was that was the work that you did at the internship or then when you moved to WPP? Yeah. 
So that was the work that I did at the internship, but it was very similar to um, what I started to do at WPP. In WPP, as you know, they've got different types of uh, divisions and companies. It's massive. So I was working for the Cantar Group which is basically like, you know, specialized in uh, market research and digital. And there I was uh, responsible for, uh, first of all, um, pricing some of these researches. So, you know, understanding, for instance, you know, the type of data that was needed, understanding the feasibility of the studies, um, you know, understanding how long they were, like, you know, if it was like, you know, uh, doable online. Um, but also um, afterwards, I realized that the market was shifting. So, Eric, we are talking about now 2004, 2005 five when you know big corporates like you know google was becoming going mainstream like everyone was talking about you know starting to buy ads online um and i saw an opportunity there that is where i wanted to go um and you know build strategies for these companies and uh, so i um, migrated within the group to um the online digital uh, marketing position where i was responsible for basically um uh, recruiting panelists online so um you know through different um you know tactics and uh, strategies and tactics so we are talking about you know affiliate marketing amazon was just you know pi- you know piloting at that stage like, you know, referral advertising or, you know, perform, you know, all sorts of affiliate marketing advertising. Um, so it was just like, you know, it, it was uh, an extremely interesting, uh, you know, moment to be in uh, in, in digital. Um, we were experimenting a lot with lead generation, um, you know, tactics to actually uh, recruit people online in different countries. I was responsible for recruiting uh, panelists across the 10 different countries in Europe. So languages was definitely a priority but also like, you know, understanding, um, you know, what works and what doesn't. That's where also, you know, I start learning a lot about testing, uh, you know, A-B testing, multivariate testing, which is, you know, fundamental for anyone who, you know, gets close to the, this industry, you know, to the and digital so how, marketing world. How, how, would you, how would you recruit people for the focus groups? So that was actually a mix of different uh, tactics. I mean, we are talking now about, uh, you know, as I said, back in 2004, 2005, we are not, we didn't have like, you know, sophistication from an attack martech space. You know, we didn't have retargeting ads as we have today. So it was mainly more about, you know, um, placing banner ads uh, or placing like, you know, um, uh, Google AdWords, uh, for instance. So we were doing a lot of cost per click advertising, but we were also doing partnerships um, and partnerships on, uh, you know, based on a, what we call CPA, cost per action. So an action for us was someone who would register to uh, our panel. And, you know, now we are, you know, if we delve deeper into this, right, we are talking about different types of panels. So one thing is about recruiting, uh, let's say, uh, people like you know us uh, online on um, you know YouTube or someone who's actually typing um, I don't know whatever o- online uh, on Google. Another thing is about instead um, you know recruiting panelists for B two B panels because that is like you know where you know the real value is like you know hiring you know IT workers hiring um, you know know, white colors, hiring, like, you know, getting this, you know, recruiting basically this kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, more professional 
let's say, people to panels. And they, because they're also more, you know, difficult to, to recruit, they don't have time, um, you know, the perks to actually this kind of, uh, of people needs to be totally different because they're not driven by incentives. They're mm. driven by research. They're driven by, you know, so th there was a completely different strategy there. Um, and in that case, you know, we would actually partner with a lot of, uh, you know, providers who were close to these, uh, you know, uh, to, to these professionals, um, you know, and, and basically like, you know, experiment different types of, you know, types of rewards for them. Um, so in the end, for instance, we were doing a lot of, uh, you know, white papers and uh, sharing a lot of, you know, doing AMA, so ask me anything sessions with, uh, you know, various people from different companies to attract them. And so, so yeah, I mean, that is, uh, it's interesting. So, yeah. um, and was this the kind of, like, did you do this focus group work for the entire time that you were at WPP and, and how long were you there for? So I was actually, um, this was more like, you know, recruitment kind of uh, panelists. And I saw, you know, I was there for uh, around two and a half years. And then I saw a big opportunity in the affiliate marketing world. Um, you know, I don't know if you're very, 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 very uh, I don't know, uh, familiar with uh, with this world. But um, at the time, we are talking about, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, at the time, we're talking about like, you know, uh, imagine Amazon, right? I mean, um, the idea that Jeff Bezos had at the time was like, you know, that there is like, you know, this, uh, you know, fact that he says like, you know, it was at this party and, uh, you know, there were people that were basically telling him, hey, but, you know, I would like to sell books for you, but are you able to give me a percentage if I generate a sale? And, you know, that's a bit of a, a legend, but, you know, apparently that is like the beginning of, uh, you know, the partnerships program and the referral program. And that's exactly how it works for a lot of, uh, you know, other, um, you know, uh, advertisers online. You know, if you've got anything to sell online, you can actually um, go to a lot of different types of publishers, what we call publishers, and you can ask them to basically promote this, uh, you know, these uh, pr products or services in exchange for either, you know, a sale, commission on the sale, or, or flat uh, you know, uh, what we call CPA, cost per action, which could be like, you know, a, a flat fee that you agree with the publisher itself. And the types of publishers are so many online. I mean, you know, of course, I mean, at the time we were talking also about content providers. So those ones that are writing blogs like yourself, for instance, you know, you may want to actually put, you know, place ads on uh, on your website. You would go to something that we call affiliate networks. At the time, there were like, you know, some of the biggest affiliate networks were Americans. So we, we were looking at Commission Junction, but we were also looking at Sweden, actually, in Europe. Trade Doubler is actually still one of the biggest affiliate uh, networks in uh, in the world. Um, and, you know, I was basically asked to, uh, was, was poached by um, an agency in London. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, 2006 now um, and uh, asking me to become head of affiliate uh, marketing for their email marketing agency. Now, um, this is interesting time because, um, you know, the 2006-2007 email marketing business was basically like, you know, reiteration of, uh, you know, uh, basically cold calling, right, um, at the time. So instead of actually using phones, they were starting to use emails. And it was, a you know, far west, total far west. 
And a lot of um, agencies uh, started to realize that this model would not be, you know, sustainable in the long term. Um, and a lot of people started to see, like, you know, emails going to spam more and more. And um, that was the reason why, you know, people started to look, you know, at diversifying, you know, the way they were collecting uh, sales or leads on behalf of their clients. And, um, you know, that's why I was actually recruited to, uh, you know, start the affiliate marketing department of this company. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is that in uh, less than two years, I managed to uh, actually uh, become, uh, basically grow the affiliate marketing department from myself to a team of four. And we're generating over 40% of the company's total turnover. So, and so you know, was that this was company, like, you know, was this company, um, and it was a, uh, like, were they, did they have clients that they were providing affiliate marketing services to, or were you no. doing the affiliate market for that, that was, specific company? I was, I was doing affiliate marketing for their clients. Uh, they were already buying email marketing products. Um, and uh, obviously they were looking for additional revenue streams. And so, you know, I created the whole, um, you know, uh, business model for them, uh, was managing their PL and, you know, um, and then recruiting the team and going out there and uh, be a bit of a mix between like, you know, uh, you know, as a head of department, you know, uh, handling, you know, handholding the team, um, you know, managing expectations with uh, the top C-level uh, and also, I mean, converting some of the existing clients into, um, you know, uh, affiliate pro, you know, selling them basically affiliate marketing services. But it and wasn't so, about selling, so, it was about proving value. So if I understand this, this company that you're working for, uh, were they like, uh, uh, like a, a consumer brand, like uh, I don't know, like a like a clothing brand that was just looking to uh, no, increase the revenue. No, it was an agency. Through. It was an agency. Okay, and so it was like yeah, an yeah. advertising agency. Correct. It was an advertising agency with over uh, one hundred. So, you know, the clients were spanning from, um, you know, retailers, big retailers um, to B2B businesses um, to online, you know, pure players. So, if I understand, mix of uh, different kinds. So, so just to make sure I understand correctly, so uh, let's say I'm um, like a fashion brand, so I'm like uh, Target or, or, or not Target's not a good example, mm-hmm. but like the Gap or, or whatever. I would come to your uh, yeah. agency and say, "Hey, we want to we look at creative ways to increase our revenue," and uh, the advertising agency would propose all sorts of different ideas, but one of them would be affiliate marketing. And Correct. that agency would then speak to uh, bloggers, people creating content. I guess if, if it happened in this day and age, it could potentially even be like uh, what we would call influencers, people on social media. Correct. I would say, uh, okay, yeah. And then you would set up this program where uh, or the agency would be the go between um, between the, the brand and uh, the, the content producers. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and my goal was basically to design um, a a good advertising campaign for the affiliate marketing channel because the affiliate marketing channel is very broad and as I said before we have different types of publishers so some more reputable than others right um, <laughs> or less reputable than others so we it was very important to actually um, you know keep the brand safe because I mean we had some important uh, clients in the for instance uh, you know luxury world and so you know you cannot 
not uh, place their adverts on cashback or reward websites. You have to make sure that you are instead placing banners on the likes of Condé Nast type of, uh, you know, of, uh, of uh, publishers. So, you know, it was all about, uh, you know, strategizing the best way and also making sure that, you, you know, you get the best ROI for your clients. So there's it's a certain amount of curation involved here where you, you make sure that, uh, and also vetting, where you make sure that the people who are doing the affiliate marketing are uh, of a certain quality, that they're, um, you know, pushing the, 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 the I, I guess they're links, right? It's like it was essentially... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I'm making sure that that's adjacent to like top quality content that is appropriate. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, fraud, as you know, is one of the biggest pain points of, uh, you know, in some cases of uh, digital. So uh, we had to be extremely careful about, you know, who we were working with and vetting every single publisher. You know, that's where, you know, how the team grew, you know, because you need to make sure that you you have the right resources in place that are trained, that ask, that ask the right questions, um, you know, and obviously, you know, you have to allocate the budget in the right way. So, yeah. And so you did, okay, so you did this at an agency in London. Um, and then what was your next role? Yeah, so that we we are starting to go into 2008, right? And 2008 mm. was a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> year for a lot of people. But um, the interesting thing is that um, my uh, role was growing within the agency. And um, I got noticed by a company, American company called Vistaprint. I don't know if you are aware about them, but they are basically, they do, uh, at the time, they were doing like, you know, uh, business cards. Um, they were just uh, printing one of the biggest online printing, um, you know, uh, players, um, I would say, in the US. They were starting to become very big in Europe. And uh, they started in Boston. And um, they decided to open their their European headquarters in Barcelona. Um, so one day I received basically um, an email from a headhunter um, asking me if I wanted to uh, interview because they saw my profile, what I was doing with a lot of the brands. Um, that I was managing. Obviously, you know, at that time we're talking about, you know, very few people were in this world, right? Uh, you know, Eric, it's like, you know, we, we started really to see, um, you know, a, a development in this, in this world around, you know, 2008, 2009, um, more sophistication coming to, you know, in terms of ad tech and martech. But, you know, I basically did my interviews. I still remember, you know, I, I basically broke my foot, uh, you know, uh, in London. I was doing bouldering <laughs> and I broke my foot and I had to go into the interview in uh, Barcelona. And I took basically, I was in Heathrow with my, <laughs> with my broken foot and crutches. And uh, I did interviews. Oh it was just like, you know, it was crazy. Um, I arrived there. I was just like, it, it, they really admired, like, you know, I think also the tenacity that I had. Um, so after a grueling, very much grueling, uh, 10 hours interview, um, uh, so I went back to London and then they offered me the job. And um, I moved to Barcelona um, after a month. Um, and then after three months um, that I left uh, the agency, I basically heard that they were starting to actually fall down the agency. Um, so, you know, I was very good at timing everything 
every single uh, you know career move. Um, I think you know I pride myself. Oh, on so that. the 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 agency in London that was doing the affiliate marketing folded three months after you left them. Correct. Yes, because of course, I mean. Um, oh wow, that's in that's a way good timing. You know, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I I was you know I started to see you know how this market was moving. You know, 2008 was a very tough market for a lot of uh, people, um, and you know in London I would probably say that a lot of uh, agencies actually went down. So my goal at that point was really to move client side because, you know, client side was, and especially like, you know, Vistaprint was uh, uh, in an amazing position at this time because they were offering, they had a fantastic new uh, business model. They managed to get like, you know, almost, I would say, 80% 80% of market share of the business cards industry in Europe by selling free business cards. And you would probably think like, you know, how do they sell free business cards, right? Uh, well, I mean, the interesting thing is that they had this genius idea of um, saying, okay, look, you can actually get free business cards from our website, but obviously when you receive them on the back of the business card, there is written business cards are free with Vistaprint. Now that is a fantastic, you know, advertising method because you are giving business cards, you're basically, you know, doing advertising for Vistaprint. Um, And so um, the only thing you would pay was shipping and shipping was basically like, you know, at the time, three pound 50 or something like that. So it was like, you know, very affordable. And at the time where, you know, 2008, 2009, where everyone was actually, you know, scrambling to get more business, that was like, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, (laughs) opportunity and the business skyrocketed since I went there. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was like, you know, um, I started there and, uh, you know, as, as I told you, you know, my, one of the, the, the things that I've always been quite good at, uh, was actually data and, uh, performance and, um, you know, so at the time there was a, um, um, an interesting um, new advertising method that was popping up and that was called programmatic advertising. Now, programmatic advertising, without going too much in details because otherwise we're going to stay here for a day, um, is basically a way of uh, uh, buying ads through different networks uh, and we're talking about banner ads um, by basically trying to find the right person in the right place at the right time. And we can do that by layering different types of data sets that we can, you know, that are readily available, you know, online through different partners um, and basically place ads when that person is on a specific page. To give you an example, Eric, I mean, if you are on interested in sneakers um, and uh, you are on the Times and uh, on a sports page, um, then we would be able to programmatically serve the ad to you because we know that you are interested in uh, in sports because you visited probably previously different types of, uh, you know, uh, sports related websites. And, um, you know, and you probably went, uh, you know, you probably searched on Google for sneakers and uh, you probably also, um, you know, shared something on Facebook with regards to, you know, sneakers or you send like, you know, something to, um, you know, you share something with your friends about, you know, your social media uh, through social media channels. So that was like, you know, a um, 2000 and uh, I would probably say 2009, 2010 was the beginning uh, of this, uh, you know, MarTech, AppTech frenzy. 
you know, the industry was booming with different types of, uh, you know, companies specialized in data, um, different types of data sets uh, from, you know, behavioral to, you know, like uh, purchase intent. Um, so that was a great, uh, you know, a, a, a very so what, good space to be. And what, what did you, what you, what was your, like, what well, did you do at that? Well, my, uh, my, um, my role uh, at Bisaprint was basically to uh, take care of a few channels, uh, advertising channels for, uh, for the company, right? Uh, but since, you know, we were very um, direct response driven, you know, we were like, you know, our super ROI driven, um, you know, my role was basically to actually make sure that uh, we were maximizing the budgets and, uh, and returns. So for me, it was all about testing um, a lot of different channels and uh, publishers and tactics and, um, and basically just trying to understand what would be the best let's say um composition of you know portfolio composition would be it's very similar to when you're investing in different uh stocks and shares right you would probably have a portfolio of uh, riskier less riskier uh, you know, uh, stocks and shares. And that's the same thing that happens in uh, advertising. So you have to basically mix and match different types of uh, channels that are generating different types of returns. And um, some of these, you know, channels may be, you know, uh, less profitable in the in the short term, you know, such as, for instance, uh, placing banner ads on, uh, you know, websites, because obviously, you know, you are not clicking on them. But there is still like, you know, something in the back of your mind that will prompt you to go on websites such as Google and search for it. And so therefore, you know, that's why we have to make sure that we have a good mix of channels. So if you are advertising on, you know, good content websites with your nice, lovely banners or videos, then we have to make sure that we follow up with different types of uh, ads in different channels. Uh, you know, for instance, when you go on Google and you search, you, you know, you will find your ads there. But also, if you like, you know, and uh, so go when on you, your when media, you, you do that. Mm -hmm. so, um, uh, you know, again, I, I, I tend to ask very simplistic questions because yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm thinking about people in the audience that are just very curious about how advertising works and, 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 you know, specifically what you're referring to. So when you say channels here, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So as I said, you know, affiliate marketing was a channel, social media was a channel, uh, display advertising was a channel. Um, at the time, Groupon uh, was uh, massive. Uh, so again, you know, that was considered like, you know, also a channel in itself um, because they were generating huge volumes. So, and then of course, I mean, I, I thought it was a frenzy. So I was like, let's not invest that much time on this. So you would just, the idea is then you want to have like a right balance of, of different channels uh, to make sure that you're maxing out uh, or you're getting maximum impact uh, for where your audience is. I would, I would imagine that there's probably um, like concerns about where your target demographic is and you probably had decisions based on that. So I imagine if you're, if it's like a... If if your if your uh, clients, uh, ha, you know, most of their customers are on, you know, if like eighty percent of them are on Twitter and none of them are on TikTok, then that would guide the decision as to where you place your advertising. Absolutely Stuff correct. Stuff like that, right? 
Absolutely correct. Gotcha, Even gotcha. if, you know, demographic is definitely not one of the best ways to measure online because, I mean, you can be anyone. You could actually say that you're 90 mm. years old. Um, so therefore, for us, uh, when I'm talking about, you know, data-driven advertising, you know, I would rather prefer to talk in terms of behavior. Um, you know, I would mm. rather prefer to talk in terms of, you know, intent, um, you know, purchasing intent, for instance, you know, that, you know, would definitely be like, you know, more appropriate way of uh, or, or searching for, you know, your searching behavior. You know, that would give us a little bit more accurate results than, you know, just simply, uh, um, you know, advertising to 18 years old on, on social media, you know, on Facebook, because that could be anyone. Gotcha. And, uh, okay, so, and then how long did you stay with that company and what was your next uh, gig? So, something happened in my life at that point. Um, you know, I was a vista print. Um, I was in Barcelona. I got uh, a nice pug <laughs> uh, named Peggy. <laughs> and um, and then um, I realized that, um, unfortunately, I had um, uh, some health issues. And so I had uh, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Um, and that, oh, wow. um, okay. at that stage, basically, um, you know, as you can imagine, like everyone scrambled a little bit. It was just like, you know, parents being a little bit like uh, worried about the whole story. And, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I decided to stay in Barcelona. I had some very good doctors there. My Spanish was uh, pretty great at the time. So I was able to actually, you know, fend myself from and uh, being able to actually understand what was going on. Um, I did my surgery and uh, at the same time, um, for personal reasons, I was there with uh, um, my my ex uh, who got a job offer in Stockholm. He was originally from, from Stockholm. Um, and uh, so I said, okay, well, what am I going to do here? <laughs> you know, I have to, to move to Stockholm at this point, uh, but I'm recovering as well from a pretty serious uh, illness. Um, you know, I don't want to go to Stockholm without a job. Um, so I, I spoke basically to uh, my manager at Vistaprint and they agreed for me to start consulting um, for them from Stockholm. They really didn't want to lose me because I was generating some very great results. I managed to grow some of their channels by 300% uh, year over year. So as you can imagine, they, you know, they, they did some fantastic fantastic they were they were great um you know they treated people in a in a fantastic way um so um they 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 agreed for me to actually um be moved to to sweden um and consult uh for them uh, remotely and so i did move um and then i started to uh you know to get better and better um and uh and then my personal life collapsed and so um and uh you know i said okay what am i gonna do now you know after a year that i was in sweden i said you know i love this country i think it's gorgeous and it's got a lot of opportunities we're talking about you know spotify was uh, starting you know to to become huge and there were a lot of opportunities uh you know every everywhere you know h&m swedish and uh, um, again, I mean, someone noticed me on LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn has been always like, you know, the, the, the great, greatest, the greatest channel for me. Everyone, <laughs> you know, had, you know, had asked me on, on LinkedIn and, uh, um, I received uh, an email from, 
uh, Oriflame. Oriflame is uh, uh, Sweden's biggest um, cosmetics company. Um, they are they are actually in Russia. They are bigger than L'Oreal. And nobody knows about them, but they are a direct selling um, business. Um, and that for me was a fantastic challenge because, you know, um, they were trying to, um, you know, how direct selling works, right? So they were basically having catalogs. They were sending catalogs to their customers. And then the customers would, uh, you know, buy uh, from a rest. Physical catalogs? Yes, physical catalogs. But, oh, okay. but. Okay. The, they were migrating online. That's why they contacted me to basically have their, uh, mm. uh, their online, uh, let's say, uh, rebirth. Um, but of course, I mean, they had a lot of challenges with regards to their uh, sales force, the sales force being a little bit older, um, you know, like, you know, 50 something years old women uh, would normally not go online and, uh, you know, create a web shop and, uh, you know, start selling uh, online. So it, it needed like a lot of uh, um, education. Um, but also, you know, at this point, I also started to look into, um, you know, more uh, kind of uh, what we call CRM activities, so customer relationship management activities, just to reactivate some of the uh, dormant user base, uh, recruit new, uh, you know, blood into uh, the uh, uh, consultants uh, pool. Um, so uh, introducing new products as well, because I mean, that was also like, you know, if you, if you know exactly what uh, consumers want, it's easier when you are a manufacturer of products to create products that people really want and love in order to attract new audiences. But it was also interesting for me, like, you know, to, uh, um, you know, look at, at the different price points. So test different price points for different products, different discounts, see what resonates better with each, you know, target audience, segmenting, you know, the target so, audience. So that was like uh, what I was doing. So you did that for the Swedish brand, yes. for the Russian catalog brand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Swedish, it's a Swedish company. It's a Swedish company. It was oh, right, born sorry. like, you know, in the 50s. They are, they are everywhere in the world. Um, so they're huge, huge uh, worldwide brand. Uh, it's just like, you know, one of the best kept secrets, I would say, of the cosmetic industry. <laughs> I mean, they've got labs and they make their own, you know, products that are fantastic. Uh, but obviously, you know, they have, um, they have a specific business model that um, it, it's almost like uh, blocking them from becoming uh, huge, I would say. Right, right, got you. I'm just conscious of time here because I, you know, I'm finding uh, this trajectory really fascinating, um, and, and how like you, you're getting exposure to, um, you know, different uh, advertising slash marketing techniques. It seems like you you really did a great job of uh, not staying in the same. Um, you know, skill set, but you expanded it, right? Like you kind of uh, started off doing one thing and then that every role that you had afterwards, uh, you, I think it seems like you Expanding. got exposure to new, new, new techniques of, uh, well, essentially um, reaching customers and, 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 you know, increasing the bottom line. So um, how, how long were you with, the, what's the name of this makeup so organization? So yeah, let me let me perhaps you know fast track a little bit because um, I think you know perhaps the interesting part is arriving now. I mean, I 
when I was at, at, at Oriflame, um, which is this company based in Sweden, I had the urge because you touched on something very important. You said, like, you know, it, it sounds like at this point, like you were doing a lot of things, you were spanning every single time. I was like, yes, but I was feeling the urge of like, you know, really looking at this from a more academic point of view. And that's when I start when I joined, um, you know, a master in uh, digital marketing strategy uh, in Manchester. Um, and I was doing that part time while I was working full time. Um, at the same time in Sweden, because there were so many, uh, you know, Sweden is the, the hub of uh, startups, innovative startups. I started to basically get very involved with a lot of uh, small startups. Um, and I said, okay, you know, there is definitely an opportunity here. So I basically joined the masters, and then um, I, you know, Brexit. At, by that time, I was already five years in Sweden. Yeah. Um, so at that time, you know, I started to hear about Brexit, um, and I was just like, I, I need to do something here. You know, I, I, I have to go back to the UK um, as quickly as I can, um, and uh, just you know, make sure that. I, I stay there, and also because I mean, my it was very becoming quite expensive and tiring to travel to the UK for my masters. You know, even if it was like you know six times a year, but it was still you know quite quite intense. So um, I basically got um, a job offer uh, to move to London um, to a, an agency, big advertising agencies in the top uh, three, three, top four, called Dansuigis. Um, now Japanese uh, agency, and I basically was brought in um, to head the programmatic, um, global programmatic um, uh, arm of the company, which is called uh, Amnet. So um, I was basically head of global client services, um, reporting into uh, the president who was based in the US. Um, and there are basically like, you know, that is where I really, you know, started to get into like, you know, this is a fantastic world. I don't even want to get into the, <laughs> you know, nitty gritty because as I said, we're not going to have time. But I was dealing with some of the biggest, uh, world's biggest brands, um, you know. Um, so we're talking about Burberry, you know, we're talking about Red Bull, we're talking about Coca-Cola, we're talking about Ikea. You know, I was responsible for, you know, managing these fantastic clients, creating, like, you know, managing a team of 15 people, you know, senior people and, uh, you know, creating fantastic data strategies, pitching to them, um, you know, pitching for, for contracts and being responsible more and more for the commercial side of things. So looking at, you know, the, um, again, my, my role has always been like, you know, very numerical, you know, I, I don't look into, um, you know, brand advertising or content. That is something that, you know, someone someone more creative can do like you know i i'm not saying that i'm not creative but um you know i prefer to be on the number side of things um so yeah i mean that was like you know a great opportunity and then at the same time i started to research more and more um you know i was studying of course uh part-time uh with a job that was extremely intensive and um and then uh, i started to get into blockchain because i was spotting i spotted an opportunity here eric that is you know very important and i mean that probably deserves a totally different and, uh, you know, podcast, which is basically how, um, you know, our data is uh, handled. You know, I'm a big, big fan um, of, you know, you should be able to manage your own data and you should be, you know, uh, made totally aware of how 
other people are using your data and monetizing your data. And that wasn't necessarily the case until, you know, GDPR arrived. I mean, and even now with GDPR, I mean, yeah, of course we are protected, but still people are using and monetizing our data and we're not making anything out of that. Of course, I mean, they would tell you that you're using a free service and therefore you have to pay something. But let me know, you know, right? You know, make me choose. So that is basically when I started to do my research, um, my master thesis on, uh, you know, how machine learning and blockchain will have an impact on the future of digital marketing. Um, and, uh, you know, my job was, as I said, was very, uh, was very hacked. Um, and uh, at the same time, my professor here in uh, in the north of England was telling me, like, you know, Sarah, we have shortage of digital, you know, minds here. You know, why don't you come here? You know, you could help me with a couple of classes. Um, you know, we need people that are coming from the, uh, you know, industrial background, you know, because we got a lot of academics, you know. So I decided to move up north um, and, uh, you know, here in uh, to Manchester. And um, I've completed my uh, my studies. I was, uh, you know, consulting at the same time. And I decided, you know, I have to go solo because, uh, you know, I've got a lot of ideas. I'm, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to the, um, you know, startup world. I was, uh, you know, helping a lot of startups um, to to grow. I was getting very much into the blockchain space because we were talking about 2016, 2017. You know, when, you know, the ICO frenzy, the initial coin offerings frenzy started to become very popular. Uh, and I didn't want to be associated with any of those things. But people were asking me, of course, I mean, to help and support with the uh, writing of uh, their business models or what they called white paper, um, you know, or to basically manage some of their um, strategies, go to market strategies. Um, and so, you know, my, my role has just started and I found really my, what I really loved, you know, and what I love is just, you know, helping startups. And I saw so many, um, you know, problems you know in 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 this 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 whole world you know and i'm talking about now the investment world it's not inclusive it's extremely exclusive um you know and when you are you know you you are uh, getting into like you know uh, very uh, deep tech or you know emerging technologies um you know you you know that you are uh, chartering like you know in a non waters and you know you have to be experimental you have to get you know a lot of people but a lot of these people perhaps are not necessarily good actors for the ecosystem so you have to be like very canny at you know understanding who to talk to and how to handle your profile how to handle you know people and projects so that is basically what brought me you know today to to create digital oracles basically and so did you okay? Um, I, I I do appreciate the fast track because I I want to get the whole story in here and and indeed I think what you're doing currently is super fascinating. So I do want to dive into it, but just to make sure um, we understand how you got there. So uh, you went back to the UK. You um, were finishing up your master's degree, uh, and then you felt like you wanted to do your own thing. Uh, so that was like a motivation mm -hmm. for launching digital oracles. Where did you get the, because yeah. you talked about crypto a lot, but from my understanding, and I guess we'll get into it, but the digital oracles, is there, 
I, from my understanding, there's not a, a crypto element to it, or is there? Oh yeah, there is a blockchain element to it. Um, so there is a blockchain element in the gamification side okay. um, of um, you know the the platform. So um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if you wanted to ask. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got that. Okay. So yeah. maybe talk yeah. a bit about the platform and how it works. Yeah. I mean. Um, as I said, you know, like, you know, this whole uh, platform started from the need um, that I, I found um, from a lot of founders that were struggling to actually get noticed by investors. Um, and, uh, you know, there was definitely a big gap there, the gap in the pre-seed stage. And I'm pretty sure you're totally aware about it. And, um, you know, so at the time they were doing a lot of ICOs then converting to STO, security token offerings. Um, and then all of a sudden everything, of course, I mean, became like, you know, Bitcoin collapses and, uh, you know, the, the crypto market is uh, becoming a little bit like, you know, less appealing um, and people started to go back to more traditional ways of raising funds. Um, and that is why, you know, when uh, the real founders, the real teams are starting to, you know, shine. And um, are you still there, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. So because I couldn't hear anymore. Oh, okay. um, and so, yes, I mean, we um, we we decided to um, we decided to uh, you know create digital oracles as a way to bridge a gap between you know entrepreneurs um, who are looking for you know early stage entrepreneurs and early stage investors. Um, we. We did a lot of research uh, because of my ties with the universities. We actually managed to get an initial grant, um, which was, uh, you know, for to develop the proof of concept um, of this platform, where we wanted to actually, um, you know, uh, analyze, segment. Right? Uh, we are we're seeing some similarities now with my background. So we wanted to basically onboard startups segment them based on their stage of growth and then of course i mean propose this uh, um these startups to a set of investors but we soon realized that there was much more to that because um you know a lot of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs as you know the role of an entrepreneur is extremely lonely and you have to be so determined you know and uh, so hard working and you know sometimes you have to focus on so many things that you lose sight of what's important and what's not what's a priority and what's not and so you know that is why we developed uh, you know digital oracles further and we spend like you know a lot of uh, time researching like you know different types of business models and we created a, uh, a set you know of um, over 300 goals tasks tools and resources which are you know which we are giving to the startups uh, depending on their stage of growth because i mean obviously if you are a, a company that is at an idea stage you shouldn't be focusing on everything you should be focusing on your team or your product and looking at the market around you're starting to but that doesn't mean that you have to stop there i mean you have to keep working on these things on you know constantly so you have to review every single element of your business you know constantly as you grow so we are basically creating this ecosystem where you know we are gamifying the role of an entrepreneur where you know you as an entrepreneur you we are segmented we understand at what stage of growth you're at from idea up to takeoff five different stages once we 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 put you in this bucket let's say we provide the entrepreneur 
with these goals, tools, tasks, and resources. And then, you know, they have to grow and complete these tasks and do activities that will enrich themselves in the ecosystem. But when they unlock a milestone, then they will be able to unlock a reward. Now, the reward is a non-monetary reward offered by an investor. And that, you know, reward could be, for instance, a 15-minute pitch, or could be a one-to-one, or could be an introduction to a commercial partner to you know, validate the attraction, um, you know, it's up to the investors. But this is a fantastic way for us to streamline the way investors and entrepreneurs work and communicate and get them to know each other. I, so I really appreciate this. I, you know, there's that famous blog post, um, I think it's called like Lines Not Dots. Uh, I can't recall who wrote it. I want to say Ben Horowitz, but maybe not. I think I Maybe it wasn't him, but it's just this idea that, um, you know, the starting a co- or, or launching a startup and having a successful startup is a lot of it comes down to a narrative, um, you know, where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're trying to get investment and, you know, the, the assumption is that, um, for a first-time entrepreneur is that, hey, I, I have this idea, I go talk to an investor, the investor gives me money. Um, which <laughs> it's not, it like very rarely happens quickly. It's more that yeah. you <clears throat> have to pitch, you know, dozens and dozens and, you know, scores, maybe even in some cases, hundreds of, of potential investors. Uh, they give you feedback, you then make adjustments, you make more attempts to get traction, you change your demo, uh, you switch your team up, you know, you do all these sort of things and then you go back to the investors and the investors um, then, you know, give further feedback or, you know, maybe they come on board. But the, the main, uh, you know, you that cycle of going to investors, getting feedback, going back and, and, and changing uh, your activities or what you're focusing on, it, oftentimes that has um, several iterations before you get your first close. And then, you know, you have to do follow-on funding, which means you're doing basically that same sort of feedback loop uh, constantly as you're getting um, later uh, rounds of, of funding. And that's the point of that blog post, Lines Not Dots. It's like this idea that, you know, a dot is uh, a, a glimpse of what, where you're at in a single moment of time. And that has no value. What has value is knowing what that entrepreneur is doing within the context of what they did two months ago, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. And so um, getting the founder into the mindset of documenting what they're doing um, and and also getting them into this mindset of achieving milestones, I think is super powerful. Um, But before we talk about that further, um, something that I consistently... Uh, you know, what, what really drives this podcast, at least for the moment, is understanding how people got exposed to the world of startups uh, in the first place. Because I think it's still something that is, you know, there's the, the way startups work and the way um, entrepreneurship, what entrepreneurship looks like, in, you know, in February 2021 is still not well documented and, um, seems, you know, that, that information is just not very accessible, I think, to most people. So, you know, hearing your story, 
um, you know, I, I thoroughly, you know, I can see clearly, you know, all the skills that you built up in terms of, um, you know, marketing and behavior change and getting people to understand the narrative and the storytelling and all that kind of stuff. What I, and maybe you addressed this and I just didn't catch it, but where, you know, you seem to have a good grasp of, of, well, an excellent grasp of, of how startups work. But where, where did that come from? Because, you know, I heard that you did all this agency work. I heard that you did the master's in digital marketing. But where did the exposure to the world of startups come from? So I um, I would probably say since Stockholm, you know, I started to get in touch with a lot of uh, startups and uh, um, they, they had a lot of office hours, right? And uh, um, for, you know, I was participating. I was always looking for places for English speakers to, uh, to actually help and support um, different uh, different businesses because I wanted to share my knowledge. And I wanted to help, you know, go to market is one of the biggest problems for a lot of startups, as you know, proving that traction. And so that is when I started to really give my uh, advice to a lot of startups. And uh, I realized that there was really, I, I really liked it. And of course, I mean, then, uh, you know, I started to get in, of course, I mean, more and more in touch with accelerators and uh, incubators. Um, of course, I mean, I didn't mention the whole part about, you know, my involvement with a lot of accelerator groups. Um, you know, I started to do a lot of training. I, uh, for instance, with um, uh, the blockchain, as you know, it's like, you know, it's become like, you know, quite mainstream in the past few years. But there was definitely a need for someone who was uh, uh, talking about this in very simple layman's terms so you know and uh, also supporting startups um, to actually create valid go-to-market strategies and, uh, and and business plans you know basically to to roll out these plans so that is basically where I started to actually get more involved so Stockholm was one and then in London as well I mean I uh, still remember I, I was actually um, we were the dance regions at some point moved to we work uh, because we had to move uh, basically offices for refurbishment purposes. They had to refurbish our offices. And in WeWork, I basically got in touch with at least 10 or 15 startups because every single time people were, you know, like coming and see, like, you know, there were a lot of startups in, in there. And I, I started to basically just giving advice to startups there because they, you know, they, they were so, um, you know, interested in getting to know how to get hold of someone who, you know, generates millions of pounds in revenues for big brands, right? So, you know, that was like, you know, how I got into all of this. And uh, um, and then, of course, I mean, I started to collaborate with Civil Labs quite actively, Crypto Valley Labs in Zug, um, you know, in Switzerland. And, uh, you know, that was like another great opportunity. And then, of course, I mean, up here in the north, I, you know, I collaborated with a lot of accelerators from the university. Um, and I was become, I became part of an accelerator myself, um, which is called the NatWest Accelerator, part of the NatWest Royal Bank of Scotland. You know, so, you know, for me, I've always been around uh, startups, but I never considered that, you know, until, until you know, a couple of years ago when I found the Digital Oracles to do this full time. So, but it really gives me joy. You know what? That is the difference. Like, you know, go on, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just going to jump in. But, um, just, uh, the, the NatWest Accelerator, did you, did digital, digital Oracles go through that program or were you... Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, interesting, interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we actually did, and we are still part of it because I mean, obviously, this is an ongoing program that you can actually uh, you they give you mentoring, they give you an office space, they give you like you know a lot of opportunities to network with the right people in the UK. So you know that is actually uh, uh, for for me it was like you know very interesting like you know not much commitments going on but at the same time you know because I I also like to do my own things but still have like you know opportunities to talk to uh, to to someone because especially now in lockdown right that we are lonely and isolated. Um, so it was great opportunity of course. I mean opening up lots of doors for us. Um, this is really impressive. So I, you know, I'm again, I'm conscious of time because I know you have a hard stop. So I, I'm going to, you know, I just got a few more questions just to sort of um, wrap yeah, things up. Sure. Um, what, so digital oracles, where, where, where are you at with that? What's, what are the big uh, challenges right now? What, um, how are you currently engaging with startups? What, what does it look like? Okay, Eric, uh, let me let me tell you this. Okay, I realized about how difficult it is to, uh, you know, be a woman in business when I started the digital oracles. Okay, so and I don't want to be like, you know, one of these cliche, but, uh, you know, I've, I've got a few, a few problems here. And I'm very conscious, you know, uh, very realistic person, as you notice, like, you know, I, I work for the top brands in the world, but I still like you go, I'm very level headed. And, um, and I, I, you know, Probably that's the problem. Probably that's the problem that I don't brag enough. Mm. <laughs> that's what what they say about me. Um, but we, I had a few. I have a few things, right? I'm an Italian woman who lives in the UK and works in tech. So how many, you know, problems do you see in this sentence? Mm. Um, you know, probably a lot of people would say no. You know, it's it's fine. But you know. At the end of the day, there are a lot of challenges, you know, there are quite a lot of challenges and let's not hide around the bushes, you know, um, trying to find like, you know, an investors and angel investors, it's difficult. And yes, I, you know, got in touch with a lot of them, but of course, I mean, they're always struggling. As you mentioned before, there is no such a thing as, you know, you have an idea and then you're going to go and, uh, you know, pitch this idea and they give you money. There is no such a thing, except if you are coming from, you know, one of these people mafia groups, or you're coming from a big, uh, you know, corporate company where, you know, suddenly, like, you know, just because you work for Google, but still you are just a number, you know, they give you, uh, they give you cash, you know, it doesn't work like that. And so what I did instead was to actually find uh, other ways of funding. And that was grants funding. And because I was, you know, in the blockchain space, I managed to actually get, you know, um, block one, EOS block one is one of the top uh, blockchains in the world. They're based in Hong Kong. They got VC fund and they man I managed to get, you know, a cash grant from them, you know, completely equity free. I also managed to get other two grants from the university. The, the last one, we are just basically in the process now of developing the machine layer of the platform through with, you know, we got on board, like, you know, one of the best professors in the UK specialized in ethical AI. Because, of course, I mean, there is a lot of bias around, you know, the selection process of startups and that marries so well with our project. You know, I am constantly doing applications for grant funding. The last one we just done was for, you know, a smart grant is extremely competitive, over 10,000 startups applying every, every time, every three months. We don't expect to get it, but, you know, still we put together a fantastic project together with the university. So we, I am moving 
constantly, you know, new, new in new areas, new places. And now, as soon as we're going to get some traction, and we want to basically um, get, you know, around 200 startups on the on the platform, we already I already managed to get 10 investors uh, in our private beta um, onto the platform in less than 15 days that we are we are open. So, you know, I'm I'm just extremely happy with it. Um, you know, I built a team on the side. I managed to actually bring on board, um, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, three new team members uh, in the past month. One of these is actually, I, I will be able to tell more, you know, when, when we send the dotted lines. But, you know, now we finally have, like, you know, blockchain developers in the team. We got, like, you know, chief commercial officers coming from big corporates. We got, like, you know, communications director working for the big publishers in America. You know, we got like, you know, I managed to put together a great team and I'm proud of that. And I managed to get funding for this company with zero, uh, giving away zero equity. You know, I managed to put together a product that is working in 12 months. I mean, it, I, I'm excited because of, of what I've done. It's very, time, very you know, impressive. It very is impressive. Difficult. Yes, it's, it is. Um... Uh, Thank you, Eric. We appreciate that. <laughs> of course, of course. No, I, it's, um, I think this is a, you know, a great way to wrap up the conversation of just hearing like, you know, how much you've accomplished with the startup and, and how that's, um, you know, you've built on all the knowledge and, and skills that you've gained uh, within the industry. Um, so to, to just wrap it up, what, what's the best way if a startup is listening to this uh, to engage with you? Like if they want to check out your product or, or support what you're doing uh, or, or an investor as well, what's, what's, um, how would you recommend they do that? Our, our platform is open at the moment. So we welcome, you know, startups to come and test the platform. And we are soon going to start, uh, by the way, vertical events. So together with our team, we're putting together uh, monthly um, teams uh, events. So we're going to invite academics. We're going to invite industry specialists, VCs and startups, but also accelerators, because we realize that, the, you know, we have to start to solve a real problem. Eric, the problem that we're solving here and is becoming more and more evident to me every single day that I develop this thing is we have to enable first, you know, in early stage investors, sorry, early stage companies to get their first check. But that is not enough because then after getting the, the first check, one of the biggest problems is to get a full on round, as we all know. And so therefore, we also have to help them to get their first client paying client to give them an LOI or, you know, to give them like, you know, an MOU, they give them whatever, you know, we, we can. So that is where we can really start looking at creating an ecosystem. That is the circular economy we all want, where everyone is engaged, where everyone is creating value. And, you know, sometimes I get investors coming to me and saying, you know, but, uh, oh, am I able to actually see your, the, the deal flow? I'm just like, yes, of course, but what can you bring? To the ecosystem because we are we are, we are happy to build you know and to, to put together you know to give as much as possible to both investors and startups but what can you bring can you bring your own deal flow can you actually help us to actually you know to to grow in a way or the other because right. we don't need your money right now we need you to actually in enhance this because that's the problem we're trying to solve yeah to get the, to get so the yeah come to the platform Captain of the platform, if you're an accelerator, please come and join, you know, come and talk to us. If you're a corporate, come and talk to us. You know, uh, my, I'm always available. Uh, my email is uh, available on the website. So, you know, please come and uh, talk to us. 
I, you know what, we, we hit the, our timing is just right. We're, we're literally at, um, at the hour. And, uh, I think that was a wonderful way to wrap it up. Um, awesome. Sarah, can't thank you enough, uh, for your time. It was super, super interesting to hear about, uh, your career journey and where that's brought you today. And, um, I'm excited for this, this podcast to be published and the story to get out. And, um, hopefully it'll get you the, the exposure that, um, you know, I think that, digital oracle des- uh, deserves so um yeah thank you so much and um, thank you so much no eric eric thank you for for this opportunity i really really appreciate it because you know it's it's very difficult for all entrepreneurs to actually get their story off the chest and it's very therapeutic as well so i really appreciate what you're doing <laughs> for the community no so problem it's true, no right? problem <laughs> And uh, we'll, we'll have very, to we'll have to do like a follow up uh, episode at some point to uh, yeah. to hear you know all the progress <laughs> that you make. Um, but yeah, so I'll be I'll be in touch awesome. and um, awesome. and uh, yeah, I'll follow up with an email with like once it's published with all the links and all that kind of stuff. And um, and yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Fantastic! Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you everyone for joining us on yet another episode of the MBA is Dead podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow. We're on every single podcasting platform and social media channel, as well as YouTube. Just search for the name of the show, the MBA is Dead. Also, and probably most importantly, if you are looking for resources on startups, startup accelerators or entrepreneurship, do visit our website, thembaisdead.com. There you can find listings of hundreds of accelerators from around the world, all seeking founders who need funding. It's a great resource for any entrepreneur looking for cash investment or mentorship. So you should definitely check it out. Thanks again for joining and see you soon.